everybody out there. Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. I am your host, Trey McKnight, and in this season of the podcast, we're interviewing our favorite people, some of our speakers that we're hosting at the Orange Conference in 2022. It's coming in April, so get ready. We're gonna talk about what it means to be human and how our churches can better care for the humans in our communities. And I also could not be more excited for you to get to hear this conversation with our interviewer, Dave Adamson, and one of my favorite people, our guest, Tony Collier. Tony is a communicator, she's a host, she's a consultant for ministries like North Point and Orange and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. She's the co-founder of the Resource Group and the creator of the devotional brand Broken Crayons Still Color. With a degree in business logistics and entrepreneurship, she has used her talents to grow churches and ministries and businesses in the areas of creative marketing and leadership and strategic planning. Tony loves spending her time with her incredible husband and family. I cannot wait for you to get to learn from her. So without further ado, here it is. Let's go. Hey, Tony Collier, thank you so much for joining us on the Think Orange podcast. Mate, it is so good to see you. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so glad to be on. I, I feel like, I mean, I've been in the Orange family for a while. This yeah. is my debut on the podcast. I'm feeling good about it. So. Are you serious? You've never been on before? This is my moment right now, me and you. Well, I'm so glad that I'm the one that gets to introduce you to our Think Orange podcast audience because, you know, they're all awesome people you, they're, and yeah. they're absolutely going to love you. Hey, Tony, we've been talking about uh, on the podcast over the last couple of weeks, we've been interviewing people and talking to them about the idea of being human and what that mm. actually feels and, 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 and what that even means. And so yeah. typically I, I start by asking that question, Tony, yeah. what do you think it means to be human? Yeah, I, I think it means allowing ourselves to live outside a box. Yeah. You know, I think like oftentimes I, I speak with a lot of women about comparison and we've got to do this and be this way. And this is the way it has to be. And even in some of our personality tests, it can wedge us into these boxes and put badges on us. You know, like this yeah. is how I'm supposed to be. This is how I talk. Yeah. I think being truly human means to break out of the freaking boxes, to accept life for what it is, to yeah. live in the complex middle of one day I may love this, the next day I may hate it. Yeah. And to be able to share that with the world of just... Yeah. I'm different out here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> hey, we live in a world though that is, well, first of all, you, you said it right. Comparison is a huge deal. Um, yeah. and, and that comparison is built around the fact that, I mean, let's be honest, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm in the social media online ministry world and yeah. that has really created that comparison monster because yeah. we all want such a sanitized version of our life to go out online. Yeah. Um, how important from a humanity perspective yeah. If we're going to live in our full humanity, how important is it mm. for us to embrace our faults, embrace our mess, for example? Listen, so I can go on and on about this. Do because it. My, my whole thing is, is this idea of just hope and brokenness and how beautiful it is to walk fully in our brokenness. Yep. And uh, Brene Brown says this quote, I live by it. She says, we are imperfect and we are wired for struggle. And that sucks a little bit, right? Like, that's just like, okay, thank you, Brene, sis, for telling us the truth. <laughs> but she ends it off with so, in such a beautiful way. She goes, we're imperfect and we're wired for struggle, but we're still worthy of love and belonging. Mm. And I think that is such a powerful quote because of the latter part. How much more does it mean to yeah. be worthy of love and belonging by our community, by the people that know us, don't know us, agree with us, don't mm. agree with us, 
when they know all of our mess. It's easy to love someone that's perfect. I mean, come on, be on like, we're just going to be honest. Those perfect people, those friends that are always happy. We freaking love them. Okay. We're like, yes, (laughs) Teletubby, come on over here, you know, but when someone can look you in the eye and say, I know everything that you've done. I know what you struggle with. I know what keeps you up at night. I know what has tempted you. And I still think you're worthy of love. Oh man, like that means the world, that's how I want to live my life. Yeah. And that's how I want other people to experience uh, humanity. Now, when you say that, obviously, you know, the people who are listening to this podcast, people who are watching on YouTube, you know, most of them are in ministry. So there's a faith element. So we all know that, yes, we're all messy and, and Jesus loves us anyway. Yeah. But what does that mean from a humanity point of view? How, how do you do that practically? I would love for you to be practical here. Yeah, because no, I love that. people in your world who are messy, right? Oh. How do you, Tony, when you're confronted with somebody who's messy and, and yeah. all of those things, how do you go about loving them well? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is in my young, immature days, I used to always try to relate to people, right? Mm-hmm. So when I get like a messy story, the testimony moment, and yeah. I'm you know coming off the stage or I'm talking to a volunteer or someone that I'm leading, even a student, and, and you know, you try to relate, you know, you're like, they're like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Well, you know what? Actually, I've struggled with that as well. Mm-hmm. In my more mature times, in my times of sitting down and consulting women and, and really being a mentor, I've realized that most of the time people really just need to be heard. They want you to sit and and fully understand what it means to just be a listener. And we started this. um, Here's a really practical thing. We started this thing called story liturgy. Mm -hmm. And and I trained my team on it to sit with women in really hard situations. And instead of, again, trying to, you know, fall into the pain comparison trap of like, oh, me too. I got that same issue. You, You instead listen and then respond with how their story made you feel. Mm. Because oftentimes people don't need to hear your story to identify your pain. They can just hear, hey, you know, when you said that, I felt really protective over you. I got really upset about that for you. I wanted to fight for you. And that's, I think that's, that's how we start becoming, you know, more tethered to our humanity, where it isn't just about, let me one up you in my pain, or let me try to fit into your story. Let me try to make you feel more comfortable, but no, let's together sit in the reality of maybe how painful your story is. Yeah. And I think that's just one practical thing we can do. That's so good. I <laughs> That's really good. One of the things I always say is God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Oh, come on. And if we, if we leverage them in that, you know, in that way and yes. listen twice as much as we talk, the world would be oh, probably a different so place. Good. Now you called that story liturgy. Is that what you called that? Yes. That's really yes, I good. have a, yeah, I know it's amazing. So Kurt Thompson, he's an incredible psychotherapist. Um, I got the opportunity to do group therapy with him and some other women in leadership. And he taught this method to us. And it has changed my life, the way yeah. I do ministry, the way I lead, how I just sit with people, even my friends and their their hard stories. It's been really yeah. beautiful. Yeah, that's cool. Now, now the other side of that coin, I guess, is that sometimes yeah. you're on the broken end, right, oh, of the conversation and you're you're not listening, you're actually in a point of, hey, I, I want to share my brokenness with somebody. Mm. And, you know, you and I have known each other for a few years and yeah. you've always had this great picture, this symbol of, of what that means, right? To, to, mm. to revel in your brokenness and realize that while, well, mm. y- you know, you might be broken, you're not wasted. Can you explain Ooh. your little symbol around? Yeah, that comes from, 
I always think of that woman who comes in with a jar of per- perfume before Jesus, right? <gasps> and she breaks the perfume over his feet, Jesus. right? And everybody around says, oh, she just wasted that. She wasted that. And I remember growing up feeling like, my broken life meant I was wasted, but I read that story and I feel like the jar of perfume. I was broken, but I wasn't wasted. But you've got a great picture around that as well. Can you share that with us? Do you? I don't even know if you still use it. Absolutely. Listen, oh my goodness. Okay. This is okay. I have two, five things that I need to say right now. Okay. Go. Go. Number one, I have a women's ministry brand called Broken Crayon Still Color. And yeah. we we have a blog and we have a Facebook group. But even more than that, this year, we really started focusing on resources. Mm. So we've got a women's course now. We're in our second group, eight month course where we are sitting with women and saying just that. Like yeah. your brokenness does not discount you. But even more than that, sis, let's get you some tools and a roadmap to living a life of hope and what that actually looks so like. Good. We came out with a devotional on anxiety and abuse. Our next one's on depression. And and it's really just us resourcing women with a simple reminder that broken yeah. crayons still color, that yeah. you are just not wasted. Like it, it's just a beautiful thing. The second thing I just have to say really quickly, I'm going to take a sharp turn real quick and then we're going to come back. <laughs> and I don't know who's listening. I don't know who needs to hear this, but yesterday I had a really tough day and um, I, I, one of my friends reached out and she said, hey, I, I just want to talk to you really quickly. I just feel like you're heavy right now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, yes, you read that right. Like, that is exactly where I am. And she used the exact analogy that you just did yesterday, wow. by the way, okay, wow. of this woman not wasting anything, but mm. surrendering something. Mm. And surrender is way more powerful than waste. And it means something and it's tethered to something. And I just, I don't know who needs to hear that. I know that that just like, I almost teared up and lost it all on this podcast just now. (laughs) But what a beautiful representation of how God pursues us and reminds Mm. us through many people that he's here and he's listening and he's got your back. So I just had to say that little sharp turn pivot. Third thing I want to say real quick is one of the things that's interesting as a person being in ministry and being so open and vulnerable. And I have friends and even my husband, poor thing, who is not as like just public. I am with vulnerability. The one thing that I have been telling leaders is that when we share our brokenness, most of it has to be from a healed place. Yeah. And I think that is the misconception. I've seen sweet people with great intentions share about their brokenness on platforms and social media and even on stages. And and you can just tell when someone's either in the thick of their sweet little healing journey or they ain't even dipped the toe up in there. And I think as leaders, as people in ministry, we have to balance that. We have to Mm -hmm. balance the reality of our sin nature world, but also the hope of Jesus. And that hope comes at the tail end of healing and wholeness, you know? Mm -hmm. So, okay, those are things I have to say about brokenness, okay? (laughs) We could go on. I just keep going. So I want to I want to clarify and unpack something. Um, Let's go. I've always been a big believer that you know when people see our scars that, that reminds them that there's a healer, right? We all mm. have scars in our life, and it just it reminds people that hey, there's a, still a mark there, but I'm healed yeah. from that. Um, but I also know from my own journey, and I just want to clarify this to to make sure that yes, I, I, I heard you really really clearly. 
You know, you, you know my story. I'm sure I've shared a part of it on the podcast every now and again, but I was sexually abused from the age yeah. of six to 12. And I've shared that publicly. I've shared that in a lot of, yeah. you know, forums, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and people will always come up to me afterwards and say, hey, how did you get healed from that? How did you get mm. over that? And I always say, I'm not healed. I'm healing. Come on. And, and I'm constantly healing. And I don't think I'll be over it this side of heaven, but that's yeah. okay. Because I've got a scar there and that's going to impact me, but I want to leverage that to remind people that mm. there is a healer, that when they see my scars, they'll understand that I'm not finished, but it's happening. It's in process. Ooh. So I just want to clarify, is that something you would agree with? It's not like you can only talk about it once you're healed and everything's sorted and you're back to being yeah. you know, into that right place again, or is it okay yeah. to still talk about stuff when you're in that process? No, what I think is so beautiful about what you said is, is that we don't talk about healing in this kind of passive past tense type way, mm. because the truth is not only are we still healing from our childhood wounds, yeah. but we are still healing and processing through our current wounds, the ones yeah. that come up in, yeah. in, in this day and age, you know, and what I love so much about Dr. Anita Phillips, she's an incredible faith and mental wellness mm. advocate. She talks, she has this talk about, about Jesus and his scars and these holes in his hands. Yeah. And she always says they weren't healed. They were sealed. Mm. They were still present and seen. I, it, it, I'm like, okay, you are correct, sweet girl. You are correct. He <laughs> could have filled the holes yeah. completely, yeah, but he kept them. Yeah. for this proof that you're talking about. And I think this is why it's so important to have a professional on your side to say, yeah. hey, Tony, it is time for you to go into the sixth step of the new grief cycle, which is yeah. a life of meaning and purpose. Mm. And that's been a big thing for me. It's, you know, the grief cycle has been this kind of five pronged cycle for so long. It's been the denial and the anger and the, and the sadness and all that. And a few years ago, they added this sixth step and it's living a life of meaning and purpose, sharing, yeah. being able to take everything that you've been through and share that Good. but it's not absent or untethered from your grief and from yeah. your your pain it's connected to it in a really beautiful way yeah. but you got to have someone that can yeah. have your back and say listen if you talk about this tomorrow on ig live you may get triggered okay yeah. <laughs> it may not be time yeah. someone that yeah. can assess that and give you the tools to to be ready to do that and to yeah. get into that yeah. space of, of meaning and purpose you know that's so good. I'm I'm so glad you talked about that specifically because there, you know, again, in my story, people will say, oh, you must have had counseling. No, no, no. I'm getting counseling. No. Like I, one Whatever. of the things I always tell people, you get, you get counseling because you're breathing, not because you're broken. You have oh. to keep getting counseling constantly. Like, so I'm glad that you went into that professional route. Yes. Yes. And I want to be in counseling. Like I actually desire it. And I was I literally know. talking to this sweet woman last night. I preached at this women's night and she said, I, I don't want to go to counseling. It, it's been so hard. Every time I go, I feel like I leave and I'm so sad. And I said, well, of course, girl, yeah. you're ripping the band-aids off. Yeah. You are ripping the band-aids off. And really, you only start to enjoy counseling in the delayed gratification of starting to walk in healing. That's but good. that takes time. So and good. it takes the reality of, of visiting some of the things that you knew happened to you and some of the things that you did not realize. Yeah. Like, oh, dang it. Okay, that did mess me up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> you know, and, and it sucks and it's hard. And I don't think enough of us talk about it. We talk about healing like this yeah. magic, like, oh, you got it. That yeah. healing journey, never linear, 
and extremely painful if we're just yeah. gonna be real about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's good. Hey, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, you've talked a lot about so far about, you know, the work you do with women and mentoring, counseling and helping, helping women's ministry. How important is it for men, especially men in the church to be talking about their messiness? Oh my goodness. Okay. So I went to a conference, had about 8,000 people in it. Still very shocked that that many people were in a room. Okay. Shout out (laughs) post COVID. Here we go. And, um, and the speaker on stage said, um, for, for the women in the room, I want you to stand up if you have ever felt unsafe or if you felt unsafe or isolated and misunderstood in the past week. Almost every woman stands up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Every woman sits down. The speaker on the stage goes, okay, men, in the past week, if you have ever felt unsafe, misunderstood, I want you to stand up. Three men stood up. And then the speaker on stage says this profound speech. And he says, part of the reason why women feel so isolated and unsafe is because, not because they don't have other women to talk about, but because they think men don't understand them or Mm. are isolated or on guard. Mm. Men, if more of you stood up and said, oh no, me too. I actually did feel that way last week. Afraid and nervous, I actually did feel misunderstood. Then yeah. what would happen is that women would not disconnect their safety from you. Mm. And I think when I look at my dad and the way that my relationship with my father impacted me as a little girl and still as a woman, we're yeah. talking about my sweet dad, who is our relationship is totally redeemed right now. But we're talking about someone that was verbally abusive, was extremely aggressive. What did not ever say he was proud of me, did not ever say he loved me. That direct impact was little old Tony losing her virginity at 13, smoking, drinking, popping, twerking in the club, looking for validation, all these little boys and being a performer, always wanting to perform. And, And that just simply came from my father not being vulnerable, not being open. I think men have to realize that number one, You are powerful. Mm -hmm. You are created as warriors, protectors. And that doesn't mean that you don't share what you have. It means that in your in in your security and in your protection, you get to be the leader on all of these things as well. And it's been a my husband's so gosh, he's the first guy that I've ever been with. That's so open, so (laughs) honest. And I was like, what is this on a guy? And it has proved to be one of the most beautiful things about our marriage is that he yeah. oftentimes leads us in the vulnerability. It's yeah. beautiful. That's really good. Okay. So, so I a thousand percent agree. Obviously vulnerability is something that I, I like try to model that um, mm. as a pastor. I have three daughters. I try to model it to them. I know my girls have seen me bawl my eyes out <laughs> and I do not try to hide that from them because I want That's them to beautiful. have a different perspective of what it means to be a man um, mm. and, and what a relationship with a man should look like. Um, mm. But wh- why do you think this is, Tony, that the capital C church seems yeah. so afraid of showing mm. vulnerability or when they totally. do, I want to I put this in as sensitive a way as possible. When they do, sometimes it feels either forced or it yeah. feels like there's an agenda behind the vulnerability. Why, why do you mm. think this is in the capital C church? Well, 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 at the end of the day, we, our generation here on earth, did not start the capital C church. Yeah. Okay. 
That's Axe Church. That's up in the upper room somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere along the way. Okay. I believe our churches became about perfection, where our faith hinged on being these perfect saints. Mm. I mean, we saw it. This is you know, we gotta, this is a church for saints, and we gotta leave those heathens out there. You're gonna blemish us, you know. No. You can't date our daughters, you can't be with our men, you can't <laughs> have us. And we isolated ourselves from the realities of the world, mm. of the brokenness, of the sin. And we treated sin as if it had more power than no. what we have. And so I I think that the church became very isolated in that. It was like, oh, we've got to get away from sin. And with that says, well, I'm perfect and I got it all together and I can't admit my weaknesses or my mental illnesses because that's going to mean that we lost to sin. That's going to mean that we're not of the world. That's not how this works. Well, then all of a sudden we kind of like, and you know this, you've been a part of ministries, like it went all the way to the other end. It's like, come as you are. It doesn't matter what you do, (laughs) what you've done. And then we start seeing pastors freaking fall and cheating and Mm -hmm. alcoholism and all these things. And it's because it's almost like we bust out of this bubble and and it just got reckless out here. I think it's important now that we recalibrate to the messy middle of Yes, we have so much hope and perfection in Jesus, but we have not arrived. We have victory, but we get to live this life of sanctification that gets us to this perfect union with Christ. And I I think what's up against that, if we're just going to be real about it, is the exploitation of vulnerability that's happening within cancel culture. And I think as leaders, we got to be willing to loosen stuff. We got to be willing to lose some influence and some power that have only been built on the false ideologies of perfection. Yeah. And so sorry, that's y'all. Good. Time to change. Okay. Yeah. No, that's so good. Tony, there's so much stuff in there that I think like this is a, a second podcast. You, okay. you talked about the messy middle. We were talking before we started recording about yeah. the radical middle. Now I, I literally yeah. just wrote down the radical messy, messy middle. Ooh. But the, this is what the church does, right? Often the capital C church will go yep. from one pendulum, they'll swing it completely the other way. Wait, 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 wait. But there has to be this place in between where, yeah. and, and as you keep talking, when you talk about victory, I kept thinking about that idea. And you've probably heard this before that, you know, World War II happens mm-hmm. on D-Day, the, the allies storm the beach at Normandy, and essentially the back is broken of the enemy and, you know, mm-hmm. we've won, right? Essentially D-Day, yep. The war was had been won. But between D-Day and V-Day, there were mm. several months when more people died than ever before in the rest of the war. So mm. we, and I feel like, you know, Jesus at, at Calvary, that's D-Day mm. for us. Victory was done, right? But we're still mm-hmm. living in that, you know, that fallen brokenness. That, but, yes. but we need to be willing to get messy. We, we, we need to get radically messy and yeah. vulnerable and real. But I dream of a church that that would happen at. Um, oh, I dream I of that. Hey, you're in ministry. You're, you, oh, okay. you're, you and Sam, you know, run, run Hillsong Atlanta. What are you guys doing to create a church yeah. that is allow, allows for that radical middle messiness um, and, yeah. and creates a safe place? Yeah. I got to say this. My husband, Sam, has been leading the mess out of this church. I am every Sunday I walk in, I'm like, wow. You guys really have a church going on here. This is crazy because I get to be in and on, in and out and on the road. And it's been really cool. But one of the things that I love so much is, number one, we practice sharing. Mm. Okay. So this is just a practical step here. We practice sharing. 
we understand that this church does not rise and fall upon two people. Mm. Okay. It is Mm. not about us. And you can say that and it's cute, but there has to be strategy that backs it. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, number one, we have a teaching team. Sam's rotating it out. He's not preaching more than two times in a month. Other people, other voices, other ethnicities, other stories, other genders are preaching and coming in to level that playing field so that we can start to squash idolization, Mm. which gosh, we can go down that road. I'm just going to go there and that's boom. We're going to just hit that right there. (laughs) The second thing is to, to squash this idea of we're perfect. You have to idolize, et cetera, et cetera. We, every single service, we take a moment for everyone to connect with God on their own terms. Mm. We don't preach. We don't say anything. We're like, this is about you and God. Because at the end of the day, this church is a resource. Mm. God is your source. Mm. And what happens is that people start to, honestly, I mean, every single Sunday, they get in this deep moment with God by themselves. And we hear weeping. And we hear stories. I remember this one girl just like totally started crying. We stopped the entire service and focused in on her and everyone in the church prayed for her. And I mean, obviously that's the the luxury of building a church. It's small. It's not crazy. It's not thousands of people just yet. So we can have these moments of just stopping. And, and that, so that's so important to have these personal encounters so that the church does not become the source yeah. The third thing that we're practicing actively is that I get to preach a lot. And as you know, and as I've said, I really love trench work. I, I love the one-on-one. I love the yeah. messy. I love the vulnerability. I love to talk about trauma and pain and brokenness and all this stuff. And so anytime I come in and preach, it's all about that. Yeah. And we pick speakers that talk about those things like, hey, Danielle Strickland has come in and talked about chaos and talked about the hard things. And it's just been honesty, man. It's been honesty. And we've even talked about church hurt and spiritual mm. manipulation. We don't shy from that kind of stuff. Like, mm. let's dig into it. And I think with that present, you start to work up against it. Yeah. And then you naturally build a church that's like, well, I'm really unafraid to say what needs to be said. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Yeah. But, but Tony, let's be honest. The, the, the church on. is set up in the same way that, that individuals are set up, right? Yeah. We want to we always project on social media our perfect life. We don't want to reveal the messiness. We want to have filters on every photo that goes out. We want to sanitize everything. I mean, you know, uh, that's just the way we live as individuals in in the world because of the comparison thing. And the same thing is true in church as well, right? I mean, you know, churches want to project the best possible light, the best possible, you know, you know, the photos of the, the, the stage photos of the auditorium. How, how, how does social media play in that from a church point of view that allows that vulnerability while still not setting up Mm. that, um, what is the idolization? How do you do that? Well, I think it's, I think it's about mindset. I think at the end of the day, we have to be able to differentiate the church from the church's people. Mm. The church, in my personal opinion, is about creating the most lavish experience for God's people. 
Yeah. The truth is when people come into your home, you are cleaning up and making sure everything's set and making sure it's beautiful because you want them to have a great experience. If they're in the world and they are getting a lavish experience from freaking Chick-fil-A, okay, they're treating them better than their parents (laughs) and all the and all the bathrooms are clean, then that's where they're going to flock to. So the church needs to have some accountability around let's create a beautiful space for people to feel lavished as God lavishes them. Mm. But that doesn't mean that space defines its people. Yeah. And I think what that means on social media practically is like for us, some of the content that we post is pictures. A lot of it is hard things that we talk about from politics. We do talk about politics and church. Surprise, you guys. From poverty. We did a whole Sunday series around domestic violence. We had women who were unafraid to tell their stories Mm. that created a video that said, yeah, actually this past Sunday at Hillsong Atlanta was the first time that I admitted that I had been abused in my marriage. Mm. We just talk about the stuff, but we balance this idea of the church ain't got to be all raggedy and antiquated. It can be beautiful and lavish and amazing, but we just can't let that get in the way of its people. It can't overshadow its people and authenticity around that. That's really good. That's really good. As you're talking, the only thing I keep thinking through is this idea that, you know, when when we read in the Gospels that that Jesus spent time in the wilderness and he was tempted by the enemy, Mm -hmm. he one of the things he was tempted, he was tempted with the opportunity to have influence, right? Mm. And, And he turned down the offer of influence so he could turn the idea of influence on its head. Like he, he, you know, he got taken to the high mountain. Here's what you're going to have if you just, you know, do what I tell you to do. And he said, no, no, because we're called to serve. We're called to be vulnerable. We're called to be in people's messiness. Mm. So I keep thinking that through. What if churches did that? What if we turned down, (laughs) what if we turned down the offer of influence so we could turn the idea of influence on its head and, and just start pushing that sort of content out into social media? That would probably change a whole lot of things. Give people permission (laughs) to be vulnerable, right? And authentic. Yes. You know, what's funny is, you know, Francis Chan was on the heels of that with his church, Mm. where the church was not about us coming up in here and having these four walls, but it was more about what we could do outside of these four walls in our community. That's one of the things I really loved about what Sam has done and what we, I mean, if we're just honest, as African-American pastors in the middle of the city, we're surrounded around poverty all the time. And our very first initiatives were all community driven. We give HelloFresh meals every single week. We sponsor 500 kids for backpacks every single, like we're five months old, six months in a week. Like people are just like, well, I mean, you guys kind of got to like save your money. We did a Thanksgiving giveaway. We did, um, but it's like, no, we want mm. the majority of our finances to go back out into the community, not yeah. into making this place better, you know, yeah. not yeah. to making these four walls look even better. We've already worked in that and prayed in that and tried our best to get the best people to produce that. Yeah. But now as, as generosity flows in, it's got to flow out. Mm. And I think if more people, like you said, could see the church, actually being the church, being activated, being the hope beam for the community, 
then I, I feel like people would want to be a part of church more. Yeah, right. It's funny. <laughs> I want to be a part of that, you know? Yeah, totally. It's like our friend Andy Stanley says, right? Uh, that <sighs> The community may not believe the same things that you do. And they might look at you and say, hey, I don't know if I agree with that whole Jesus thing or the Bible. But, man, those Christians, they're the most generous, generous. passionate people. Oh, Imagine yes. how that would change the world. Gosh. I love anyway, that. I've got, I've got one more question for you. Okay. Um, I knew I wouldn't get to any of the questions we had listed. We didn't, but we're doing okay. That's great. Everything's going good. Tony, if you could, if you could go back and mm. you could speak to 16-year-old Tony, oh. knowing all the experience that you know now, knowing mm. everything you know about life now, if you could go back and talk to her, what advice mm. would you give her about life, about ministry, about relationships? This is going to make me cry maybe. I don't know. I, I think the first words that came to mind was you don't have to prove anything. Mm. And I think I spent the majority of my life trying to prove everything. Like I didn't get saved till I was 21. Okay. So I surely was not trying to prove nothing to the church. Okay. Mm. But I was definitely proving a lot to my friends and boys and all the other things. Yeah. And when I got into the church, I carried that with me. I'm perfect. I got to show this facade. I'm in an abusive marriage, but I'm not going to say anything. My first marriage before Sam, because I got to, I got to prove myself. I got to prove myself. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I'm worn out. I am broke. I've got this little girl that I can barely feed like, but I've got to show everybody social media. I got, I got something to prove here. And I think the simple reminder to us as leaders that we have nothing to prove. Mm. literally, we do not have anything to prove. Mm. We are not working for anything of this world. And so everything that we do has to be heavenly. It has to be towards heaven. It has to be heaven forward. And now as a, oh my God, 30, I'm 30. Oh gosh. Now as a 30 year old, I wake up every morning and I say, Lord, thank you for my life. Please Mm. use it. Mm. Please use it in whatever way you want to. I don't have an agenda. I don't know what the freak I'm doing out here. I'm confused about these insights on social media, but Lord, I will freaking follow you and I will let you use my life. Powerful. And that's it. Like, that's just how we live. That's powerful, Tony. Seriously. That is such a powerful way to end because... You know, I, I do a lot of stuff on my own Instagram around Hebrew words. And, and oh, my yes. favorite Hebrew so words is the word hainini, which literally mm. just means here I am. It's the words that Moses said to God at the burning bush, right? Um, here mm. I am, Lord, use me. When you, when you were just talking, and that's all I kept thinking, is the most vulnerable, sometimes the most human, and sometimes the most faithful thing that we can do every single day mm. is just to wake up and go, okay, God, here I am. Mm. With all my messiness, with all my faults, here I am. Just use me however you need to use me today. If we all, man, I just think if we all, if everybody listening to this podcast, if everybody watching on YouTube just did that for the next six months, I believe the community would be radically changed. It would be completely different. If all we just said was, here I am, God, use me in whatever way. But here Mm. I I am. Not here is the version of me that I want everybody yeah. to see. Here's, yeah. here, it's not that here is my filtered Instagram highlight reel version. Mm. This is the real here I am. Imagine, imagine what the world would be like. Gosh, it'd be 
awesome. It'd be awesome because it'd be God-led. God would just be sprinkling all over the place. Yes. People would oh. experience grace. They'd experience compassion and generosity. Yes. They'd see grace because they'd see it in us. They'd see it in us. They'd oh. see that we've experienced that grace and that mercy of God. That's a, that's powerful. Oh. I feel like we just did church, not just a podcast. We I do. I think we just Bible study. I feel so great about myself. <laughs> I do. Why you just Tony Collier. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Um, really appreciate it. I'm glad that we got to introduce you to our Think Orange podcast Yay. audience. Um, and yeah, looking forward to seeing you very, very soon. Love you guys. I promise I could listen to the two of them, Dave and Tony, talk back and forth all day long. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining us. Now, if you listened to this podcast and you enjoyed it, you enjoyed this conversation, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's super helpful for us. Matter of fact, we love this particular review by Corey. Corey said, this is quickly becoming one of my favorite podcasts. Corey, I agree. Thank you for investing in the next generation of church leaders. And that is our goal. We want to say thank you to you uh, for leaving the review. Now, we also cannot wait for you to join us at Orange Conference 2022. It's on the way. It's coming. You got to be there. So we want you to join the conversation with us so we can continue learning what it means to be human together. You can join us by going to theorangeconference.com. Save your seat there for an Orange Conference that I promise you will be like an Orange Conference you've never seen before. That's all for this time. We'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast.